0: Welcome again to Profiles on Nantucket Community Television Channel 18. I'm Charlie Walters. My guest today is Peter Brace. A lot of you know him from many things he has done, and we'll get to all of those later in the show. But I asked him to come on to talk about something you may not know he does. He is a beekeeper. He's going to explain to us what that means and what that means on Nantucket in particular. Peter, thank you.
1: My pleasure, Charlie.
0: A stupid question, but uh, for some people who may not know, Exactly what is beekeeping?
1: Um, Well, from my perspective, beekeeping is the um, keeping of um, colonies of bees in wooden boxes um, or plastic boxes uh, for the purposes of uh, um, the bees creating honey, making honey, um, and various other products like uh, pollen, propolis, and wax. Um, For me, it's a a partial living. yeah.
0: And when you say you keep them boxes, what do those boxes look like? How big are they? Um,
1: what are they like? Maybe twenty inches tall, maybe nineteen inches wide. They're uh, usually, you know, pine boxes, half inch to three quarters of an inch thick. Um, there are ten frames. Um, when I say frames. Um, these are the frames in which the bees build their comb to lay their eggs that will create the brood nest, the worker bees, um, and then also combs up above where they will place
0: the honey. These boxes can contain how many bees?
1: Well, when you, if you're starting a new hive, you're probably starting with about 10,000 bees. They 10, can get 000. up-
0: 10,000, you're starting with 10,000.
1: Yeah, you actually get the bees in the mail uh, in a little package, a little bit taller than a shoebox with screening on the walls and the sides. and um, You get about three pounds of bees, which is about 10,000 bees. And then in the summertime, when, it's, when they're at capacity in, the, in July, um, it could be 30, 40, 50,000 bees in the hive, depending how well it, the queen is doing.
0: And when you start, you just, you just put them in the mail or UPS or FedEx or whatever, and, and that's not a problem, I guess.
1: Yeah, um, you know, there's two ways. Um, you know, you get them um, as a package of three pounds of bees, which is the bees and then a the queen in her own little cage. Um, they've been raised. Um, the bees that are in the package, the worker bees, have been raised somewhere down south or out in California. So when they're loaded to, um, to be shipped to the, to the beekeepers, Um, They are dumped into one of these packages, and then a queen that's been raised separately is put into the package. Uh, uh, Bees communicate by pheromones, and uh, so unless the queen was a part of that original hive where the workers were being raised, you take a queen that they they don't know and put it into the hive, they'll kill it. So she's in a little cage. Then there's a nuke, a nucleus, and a nucleus will be um, a box, either that plastic cardboard stuff or quarter-inch plywood with five or six frames hanging in it, and they'll be um, probably three frames of uh, brood, which is capped brood, which is baby bees maturing um, to become worker bees. And, then you'll have a, you know, a frame of honey and a frame of pollen. And the queen is part of that. So she, she started originally with uh, this group, and, uh, and those get shipped. Uh, um, usually what happens is you get a call, or you, know, you get an email from the company you bought them from, saying, we shipped your bees, they'll be there on this date. So then you go down to the annex on Old South Road, and tell the ladies there I get bees coming, and they're all used to it. And you go and pick them up. They'll call you and say your bees are here. Or uh, uh, there's a guy here named Jim Gross, and Jim Gross is our sort of um, you know longest beekeeper on the island, um, uh, presumably the most knowledgeable. Although people will say to you, the more you read and watch about beekeeping, the less you know. So. Uh, for, I don't know how many years, Jim has been organizing, um, you know, buying, taking orders for bees, and then buying them from a supplier off-island, and then somebody goes off-island and gets those bees, and for the last seven years, it's been me in my van. Um, so I go to, go to a place, um, uh, This for the last three years, it's been uh, uh, East Hampton, Massachusetts. I go up there and load the the bees into the van in their nukes and in their packages, and I drive down and bring them back to Nantucket.
0: And when they're being transported, either in a van or in a package, are they making a racket in the process? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a low hum.
1: You know, they generally in the hive, keep the hive at around 94 degrees. Um, in the summertime, they'll try and keep it a little bit lower, but right now the bees that are alive in their hives are keeping it warm. so.
0: On their own, they're keeping it warm. They sort
1: of dislocate their, their wing muscles from their wings and then vibrate those muscles, and that generates heat, and that keeps the bees warm. Um, so in the van, when you have, like for instance, last year we had 50 nukes and 50 packages, um, you've got to keep the air conditioning blasting. You have to keep the windows wide open, so when you're going down the highway, the cool air is keeping them cool.
0: Now, how far north can someone be a beekeeper? I mean, can, does Greenland have beekeepers? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And this is because, in part, anyway, because they generate so much heat on their own? Yeah.
1: I mean, plus you'll see pictures of bees, hives in places where it's very snowy, coated in snow, and the snow acts as an insulator. Hmm. And a lot of us here on the Antarctic uh, insulate our hives. Um, they say... They, whoever they are, the knowledgeable beekeeper people in the, in the country, they say that in the Northeast, your hive should have 60 pounds of honey for the hives to make it through the winter. Um, so if you insulate your hives, you can bring that number down to 20 or 30 pounds.
0: Now, is it just one species of bee that we're talking about here, or are there all different kinds of honeybees?
1: Well, there's different, you know, it's Apis flora, but there are different uh, strains. So there's, and then each strain has different qualities um, that you like as a beekeeper. So um, beginners are sort of guided toward getting Italian bees because they're gentle and um, they have good honey production. But uh, lately we've been getting, let's see, there's the, New World Carniolans from, you know, Eastern Europe, uh, and they are known to be um, disease resistant to bring up the brood very quickly to produce a lot of honey, to uh, um, um, then bring the, regulate the, the, the bees, the population going into the fall, which is key because you don't want a huge population going into the winter and not enough honey. so. You know, bees only live 45 to you know maybe 45 days. So the queen's constantly laying eggs up to 2,000 a day to keep the numbers of bees up. And then you're coming into the fall, she's laying eggs that will be bees that live 120 to 150 days to make it through the winter to keep the hive ready for spring when the new bees will be coming along. And then there are these Russian bees that we've been getting lately from, uh, from the place in East Hampton. And they're supposed to have all the traits that we like about bees, plus they're uh, hygienic, which means they groom each other.
0: Which most bees don't, I, I'm assuming? Most bees don't. I'm inferring.
1: And it's a good thing because there's a pest that we all have to deal with called a Varroa mite, and they pick the mites off of each other, supposedly, or I've seen it. Um, and the mites, Um, Basically drill inside to the bees and eat what are known as fat bodies Which are inside the bees and the fat bodies are stores of um, Fat protein that the bees need to survive. Also, they will um, eat out their liver So over time slowly
0: kill the bees Since we're talking about different kinds of bees. This is a good time for me to ask you about killer bees. Do they fit into this at all? Um, Well
1: I mean, I think you're probably talking about Africanized bees. Yes. And you can't buy Africanized bees. So, um, you know, if the, I know they're here in, the, in this country. Probably, you know, I don't know enough about it, but I'm guessing it's they're probably wild bees in living in trees or whatever. Um, then there was the big hoopla uh, over the last couple of years, the Asian giant hornets, yeah. and all the beekeepers were nervous because the those hornets go into beehives and just kill everything. They kill all the bees and take all the honey. Um, I believe that's isolated up in the Pacific Northwest and it's not here.
0: Uh Do killer bees produce honey?
1: Yeah. They do? Yeah, I mean Africanized bees, they're honey bees. They're just much more aggressive.
0: So I'm assuming nobody has hives of Africanized bees? Not that I know of.
1: I mean, you know, there's enough, you know, the longer you keep bees, the more used to it you get. I'd say that there are more hobbyists with one to three hives out here that aren't always the most experienced. So there's more of those type of people out here than there are people who are trying to make money at it. So um, I don't see those people ordering bees that are gonna be hard to work with. They've done their research, they know which ones they wanna get and they get them. So
0: Usually if you see a beekeeper on TV or a photograph or whatever, uh, they have a somewhat elaborate costume on. Yeah. Is that necessary? Well, or just advisable.
1: I say it is. You know the you know, people like Jim Gross, um, a guy you know, our main guy who knows the most about beekeeping out here, been keeping him the longest. You'll see Jim in you know pants with a short sleeve shirt. And just the veil, which is the helmet, yeah. and then has the, you know, the the netting all around his face, working on his hives with his sleeves rolled up, because he has developed a comfort level where he's very calm, and the bees are, the bees are like children and and pets. They can sense when something's up. They can get when you're sad. Um, they can get when you're aggressive. Um, And the bees, I don't know if the bees can sense when you are sad, but they can certainly tell when when something's off. And so when you're so comfortable keeping bees and working in a hive that you don't need to wear your gloves, um, you know, you might get stung a few times, but you've been stung so many times that it's no big deal. Um, So that's the extreme don't need any gear type of person. But the rest of us, you know, bees don't like sweat. They don't like perfume or colognes or any other sense that interferes with their communications so um well if they smell sweat what do they do they get well they can get a little agitated or if it drips wet on them like i do
0: so i assume you've been stung many times by by this point
1: it's stung two years ago at sustainable Nantucket's farm. it must have got stung like 30 or 40 times mostly on my head and my neck and i'm used to it but it it's still not
0: much fun. Not all at the same time. All at the same time. All at the same time. Yeah. And you didn't have to go to the hospital, or no? No, not nope. swimming.
1: Um, so <laughs> you, you know, for me anyway, I've got a full suit, which is um, it's a one piece, so it's pants, torso, mm-hmm. arms. I wear gloves. I have a mm-hmm. helmet. Or a uh, a veil attached to my suit, and that gives me my com- comfort level. And I finally figured out that the sweat thing is solved by getting a nice terry cloth headband, soak up the sweat. Um, and I've been keeping bees now for this year will make ten years, and so I'm pretty much used to it. Um, been stung. Um, it's not a. The way I explain it to new beekeepers is it's not the pain of the sting because it's only a little bit worse than a mosquito bite or a greenhead or something like that. It's the, it's the fact that this thing that you can really see the bee coming at you and stinging you, and it's the sort of panic that you get you're getting stung.
0: Natural human
1: reaction. Right. Um, you can get stung on purpose because the bee venom is supposedly good for your joints. So if you call him, Jim Gross will sting you in your joints that are achy. And it'll help.
0: That's fascinating. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that, but uh,
1: well, it's, it, it takes away the um, the random scariness of a whole bunch of insects converging on you, to you know him just taking a bee and pushing it, and you feel the pinch, and then it's over, and
0: so. I, I know this depends on how many hives a person has, but uh, how much work is involved here?
1: You keep in one or two hives, you know, the springtime is the most work, I think, because you need to check the hives to make sure that the queen is building up a lot of brood, to make sure that the queen is actually laying eggs. Uh, to check. Is that every day? No, maybe every five to seven days.
0: And as we're taping this, we're in late January, how often do you check now?
1: Um, Maybe every 10 days to two weeks, I go to the hives and listen. I put my ear up to the hive, and if I hear bees buzzing, and I'm happy, because that means there's a lot of bees, and I have all my hives insulated. So if I can hear them through the insulation, That's a lot it, of noise. That's a lot of noise, and that's a lot of bees, and they're doing good.
0: So you can go away for a week or 10 days right now. Yeah. And it's, it's not a problem. Yeah. But do you have people check on the bees whenever you're gone? Yeah.
1: I mean, like, if I go away in the summertime, I've got several um, people who are beekeepers who aren't keeping bees will check on my hives for me.
0: So it's, it's really pretty simple. Well, right? I mean... Unless there's a problem. Yeah, it's not simple.
1: Um, you know, you're, you're tending to them. You know, you've, you've spent either this year, the cost for a nuke is 255 and the cost for a package is 175 So you've spent that money, you've bought that gear, you have the suit, um, and, and if you're like me who operates a lot of hives, um, I care for four different people's um, um, hives, uh, four in Walwinnet, four on the cliff, two my neighbor, uh, Jim Proman, the sheriff, and one and two others on Lily Street. So all of that's my responsibility to make sure that those bees make it till Till the springtime, and make it through the spring and the summer, and produce honey. So it's an investment. So you're 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 tending them all the time. You're worrying about them. You're, um, and then in the summertime, if everybody did well and they produced a lot of brood and they're starting to bring in honey, then you take the the feed away that you're feeding them and just let them go. And once they've filled up their 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 top two boxes, you know the the deeper boxes are the are known as brood boxes or deeps um, in which the the brood are, once they've you know, put a lot of honey in the top deep, then you put a super on, which is a shallower box, which has shallower frames, and that's where they put the excess honey. The honey that they put in the top deep is the honey they'll have for the winter, and the honey up here, no matter how it, high how it goes, is the honey you'll take in the fall. So your job now is to keep checking the supers to make sure that they always have plenty of room uh, they they if they sense they don't have enough room they might swarm they might decide there's not enough room here we're gonna go um, inside of that dryer vent in Charlie Walters house that we saw a hole in and we're gonna set up in that dryer or we're gonna go If that happens
0: I'll call Peter Brace immediately
1: <laughs> yep or I'm gonna go inside that <laughs> soffit where there was a hole and set up in there or um, so you you're you're making sure they have enough space. You put on another super. Some people advise you put on two supers at a time so they don't feel cramped, even if they're not going to fill it. So that's every in the you know in the early summer. That's like every seven to ten days you're checking, and um, and if that's just your two hives in your backyard, then no big deal. But I've got my four clients. Uh, let's see, that's eight. Um, 10, 12, plus my seven hives makes nineteen hives. So you're going around and checking all those hives to make sure that everybody's okay and give them what they need, and and then in the fall when it's time to harvest, it's it's a lot of work taking the taking the supers off and and uh, and and harvesting the honey. So it's it's a lot of work.
0: How often do you do you harvest?
1: Uh there's a couple of schools of thought on that, and I used to just harvest in, in August, um, in the middle of August, so I could get the nice light summer honey that everybody likes, and then hope that I get the dark honey, um, which is um, produced by a lot of Japanese knotweed, and uh, the 14 or so varieties of... Uh, goldenrod out here, and thistles, and asters, and clematis. And, um, but I've been reading a lot lately, you know, over the last few years, about how when you take the honey in the springtime, or in the, you know, um, you know in August, <coughs> it's kind of like you're, some people have a Christmas fund that they put money into all year long, and then that's the money they're going to spend on the holidays. And so you put that money away, or they have money that they put away that they're going to spend in the wintertime because they're not going to have as much work. Um, and the bees are like that. They put that honey in that top deep, 60 pounds of it maybe, because they, they know they're going to need that for the winter. So they rely on that. They're like, take that out of the equation, we're good, that's over there. Now we're building this extra. <coughs> <clears throat> but they also draw from the extra to feed bees that are new um, and you know, newly born. And but if you come along and take that mid-August, everything they created from spring until mid-August or whatever, um, then they're like, "Holy crap, we don't have we don't have our reserves anymore. We don't have our operating budget. I guess whatever." Um, we got this over here, but that's for the winter. And so I've read a lot about how the queen will just slow down production of, of bees once they realize they don't have enough honey. Um, I'm sure there are beekeepers watching me right now saying, oh no, that's not true. But I've read a lot and I've talked to the local experts, people smarter than me here in beekeeping, and it seems to be the consensus.
0: So. Well, let me stop you there. When, when there's not enough, the queen cuts back on production? That's, yeah. that's counterintuitive in a way.
1: Yeah. It is. But it interrupts the flow of everything. And so, the last two seasons, what I've done is just wait till the very end, meaning usually middle of October for my bees.
0: And then how much do you take?
1: I'll take everything that's above the deeps. I'll see what's in the deeps, and um, almost always they're full, and there's winter feed you can give them, so I'll just take everything that's above, you know, uh, Jim Perlman, my neighbor, he, this, this, this year, this past year, he got nine, he had nine supers full of honey, they're only eight frame boxes, but still, he must have gotten like three hundred pounds, it's crazy how much honey he got, hmm. and both hives had enough honey <coughs> to make it through the winter.
0: Um, yeah. So if, if you're selling the honey, I don't mean you personally, if one is selling the honey, um, it, it could be a profitable enterprise if you it know what can you're doing. Be.
1: It, I, had a, I had an edge in that my dad kept bees for 30 years and in 2013 a friend of mine, Sunny Daly was getting into beekeeping, Sam Slozak, was giving her some boxes and, and she's like we should form this group. Um, to support other beekeepers. We, we formed a group called, a very loose group called Backyard Beekeepers. A lowercase b and then a-c-k capitalized. Um, and we used to meet every Sunday, every Sunday, every second Sunday in, in the month and talk about bees and Jim would sort of be there to help us out and um, we do sort of a little potluck. <coughs> um, and my dad at that time was all done keeping bees and said so take whatever you want. So I took a lot of equipment, and then when he passed away in 2014, I took um, everything else that was really good that I knew I needed, and um, it helped me, you know, because the equipment can, it can, it can run you. Um, I certainly spent a lot of money on, on, on the whole thing, but once you have the boxes, then you're only in the, the complete hive, you're only really replacing frames. Um, and if bees die, then you're replacing that colony the next year. Um, It's all tied together. If you become a better beekeeper, you can keep your bees alive longer and longer and only only ever have to replace the queen because they only last a couple of years. Um,
0: How is beekeeping on Nantucket different from beekeeping in wherever?
1: Well, we don't have bears. We don't have... Raccoons. We don't have a lot of the middle mammals they have on the mainland, so no bears, coyotes, foxes, raccoons, possums.
0: Do deer like the
1: porcupines. No, deer's Porcupines. Deer is a vegetarian. They only eat. Huh, okay. That's why the deer are on your lawn in the springtime, because their lawn's green before the moors are.
0: It ain't just the springtime. <laughs> right.
1: But um, all those animals I just said, you know, they could. Um, I may be getting some of them wrong, but definitely bears. Uh, scavengers like coyotes can knock over hives. Um, Also, we don't have large monoculture farms here that spray lots of pesticides. Mm -hmm. And if you ask them, um, the farms will tell you this is when we're going to spray. So you can close your hive up for that 24-hour period. So we're kind of isolated out here, which is great. Uh, But we do have you know, our nasty cold spring being about a month behind the mainland, so it's colder here. Yeah. So there's no flowers. Um, you're waiting for the dandelions. That's the first thing they go on. Uh, maybe the, maybe if there are any snowdrops left. And then eventually, you know, Japanese crab apple or Japanese apple, what is it? Japanese cherry, um, apple trees, multi multiflora rose, um, red maples.
0: Um, well, given their ability to move around, how do you know you're not going to lose them all?
1: Because they're going to always go back to the queen. They're always going to go back to their hive. They are, it, it's a community. They, they are like, um, you know, they're like ants. You know, they, they, they live communally. They're all contributing to the, they only fly a mile and a half at most to go and, and get the forage. So,
0: and that's really with no exceptions.
1: I'm sure there's some that push the but, limit,
0: but not not an important amount.
1: You know, you know the the thing is, the bees have different duties after they come out of the um, after they hatch. Um, they start out as nurse bees, taking care of new bees coming out, and um, they may also be at the entrance to the hive as guard bees, or bees that fan the air into the hive to, to create the circulation. Um, the last duty that a bee has before it dies is to become a field bee, which means to fly out and get nectar, get pollen, get water, get propolis. Um, Propolis is the resinous material that sticks a leaf to the twig of a tree Hmm. or a bush. They use that with their wax that they create to sort of create a caulk to seal up the hive and make structural comb. So the last thing they're doing is flying out to get honey. Their wings are pretty ragged by then, or they get picked off by a bird, you know, mm. various birds that like them. So, um, Yeah, we're lucky out here in certain ways, but then unlucky in others.
0: Are there parts of the world where beekeeping is more popular for whatever reason?
1: Or it's warmer, you know, down south.
0: Uh, there are more beekeepers yeah, I mean, per you know, capita, if you will?
1: Our bees come from either Georgia, one year they came from Mississippi, um, so there, there are huge bee-growing farms down there that produce the nucs and produce the packages that are then shipped up here to, uh, to us.
0: Are, putting aside the hives, the number of bees in hives on Nantucket, are there more bees in the wild, fewer bees in the wild? Because you There are
1: hundreds and hundreds of um, pollinating insects, of bees that that are all about themselves and not about us. Um, there are lots of pollinator insects here that are keyed to a certain flower. You know, their their um, their life cycle is um, dictated by when the flower blossoms. Um, there are bumblebees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the cranberry bogs. That, Conservation, the Antarctic Conservation Foundation used to use boxes of bumblebees to um, help the bees um, you know, help pollinate the bogs because bumblebees don't make a to- whole ton of honey. Um,
0: but now, one reads from time to time that the bee population worldwide is in trouble of some sort. Um, how much trouble for one thing, and and on Nantucket is. I guess that's not a problem on Nantucket
1: Nantucket, with the exception of downtown isn't known for its big trees, and a tree is a place where a bee is likely to live um, inside of or you know on the overhang of a cliff, something like that, which we don't really have except on, along the shore, so bees will swarm um, if you uh, If you're not taking care of your hive, well, if they don't like a queen that they have, they might decide to go and live somewhere else, and that somewhere else could be in a tree. I've heard uh, of some cavities in trees in the state forest off of Lover's Lane that had, in years past have had wild swarms of bees living in them, and uh, Jim Gross mentioned uh, the... a tree that has a big cavity somewhere in Wisconsin. although he won't tell me where it is, that <laughs> always produces a swarm. There was, for the longest time, a um, colony of bees living at the interface of the Quaker Meeting House and the NHA's, the Nantucket Historical Association's research library. Mm-hmm. And you could go and stand at a certain place and look up and see the bees coming out, coming out. They lived there, I don't know, for a decade maybe? Hmm. And I think Jim told me that the NHA didn't want to um, you know, get them out of there because they didn't want to have to do any work on the uh, meeting house, which is an original structure, and they didn't want to open it up and mm-hmm. rip out all the bees. Uh, you get a swarm of bees that, that sets up inside your house and amongst the framing, and the only way to do the job is to first get all the comb and honey and bees and everything out of there and then remove every timber that had comb on it because oh it has a smell to it which yeah. if you don't remove it you'll attract other bees and so there's not really there isn't really a place for them to go and live they're more apt to go into an opening in your house so there isn't a wild population of Apis flora hmm. living on the Antarctic that I know of
0: well if you're walking in the state forest and you see a swarm or not in this, any place on Nantucket or elsewhere, and you see a swarm, a lot of people are gonna panic when they see that, but I gather that's not necessary. Bees
1: will, when they've decided to swarm, um, you know, they'll make a queen, um, which is another question, but they'll make a queen, and then they'll, when it's time to swarm and go, they'll suck up all the honey they possibly can in their bellies and take off and what you're most likely to see if you don't see the bees flying all around so many bees is you'll see a ball of bees hanging from a house or a yeah. structure, and, um, anything, you know, something like a medicine ball or a basketball, and inside in the middle is the queen that they're protecting. And then they've sent out scouts to look for a, a place to go. Um, meanwhile, they're full of honey. So their bodies can't articulate to sting you. So it's the most safe time to be around bees.
0: So it's safe, but obviously you don't want to do something stupid like throw a stick at at the swarm.
1: They'll just drop to the ground. They're not, it's, I'm serious, they can't really sting you. They can't, you know, I mean, if you take you know, a whole bunch of shirts and pillows and stuff them under your shirt, see if you can touch your toes or your knees at all. And that's what it is. Their bodies are bloated. They're literally bloated with honey, so they can't move. They're flying, hopefully, to a place where they're going to set up, and then they're going to build the comb as fast as they can, put the honey in it, then they'll have something to eat, and then they'll start going out and getting um, nectar to make the honey. And So it's it's the least dangerous time. I mean, I personally wouldn't go into a swarm waving yeah. my hands around and making noise, but you could be within it and they're not, they don't care about you.
0: Or is it, is a human presence disruptive even though they're not going to hurt you? Are you no, interfering don't with really, the process?
1: They don't really care about you. They're looking for a place to go. So they're already disturbed. Yes, you, you know, it's a possibility you could get stung, but I've been around a lot of them and they're just not. Um, you're just another thing.
0: You're not in their way, you know. I want to ask you about beekeeping on Nantucket in general. Is there more of it? Do you foresee more of it developing down here? Well, four years ago, uh, Sustainable Nantucket
1: asked me to kind of start a beekeeping program at their at their community farm institute out on Hummock Pond Road where the farm stand mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was Whenever it was I started, I did an introduction to beekeeping talk at the farm and drew in a bunch of people. There were eight eight people, and I found beekeepers in our community, in our backyard beekeepers, to mentor them over a full season, um, full year of beekeeping. And then I took a few of those people on myself. And we did that every year except for last year um, and got... Um, Well, um, this past fall we didn't do an introduction to beekeeping. We were kind of trying to decide at the farm how many hives we wanted. There were issues of people who worked at the various small farms on that farm getting stung because there were bees that were placed too close to where the fields were. Um, So we decided, I decided, we'll take a year when we won't do it. And the number of beekeepers went down. But I did train up two people last season, um, you know, the spring of 2022, all the way until basically this coming spring. Um, So that's a way that new people are getting into it. Um, And then, you know, I wouldn't say that there are just tons of people, scores, which is 20, um, or um, even tens of people getting into it every single year. It's expensive, you know. Mm -hmm. The nukes are 255 the packages are 175 whichever way you go, then you've got to buy all the gear plus a suit. Um, you've got to find an extractor to extract the honey, you've got to have bottles, you've got to create a label, um, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a thing to get going, so.
0: Well it is a lot of work, it's more work than I would have thought, but it's great that there's more interest, I mean it's, it's just the kind of thing you'd want to see increased interest with in, in a place like Nantucket. Well, there's.
1: You know, the number that I always heard tossed around a lot was, "Oh, there's fifty-six, there's sixty, seventy beekeepers here." But I think it's more like forty or fifty. I think. Well, that's, know, the, that's a
0: lot, which sounds great to me.
1: There are all those, you know, hobbyists, one to three <clears throat> hives, you know, and then there's people like myself and my friend Anton and Jim Gross and um, I'm trying to think who else. Oh, David Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. You know, he. He had a contract with the Conservation Foundation to keep his hives out at Windswept Cranberry Bog when they were farming cranberries out there, and you know they got pollination help with the cranberry plants, and he got honey. Um, I still think he has 30 hives out there, even though they're not farming cranberries out there anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd say there's under 10 large, you know, large, larger beekeepers, and then the rest of them are all people who just, you know, I just want my
0: honey, so. As I mentioned at the start of the show, beekeeping is far from the only thing you do, so I want to talk a little bit about the other things you do. Uh, do you want to start with Shab? Tell us what that is and what you do.
1: Um, I'm on the Harbor and Shellfish Advisory Board. I'm coming to the end of my third term uh, with Shab. We call it Shab, but the true true uh, name is Harbor and Shellfish Advisory Board, and I'm the secretary. And we are advising the board of selectmen, sorry, the select board on all matters uh, shellfish and fishing and, and harbor. Um,
0: and that's a town board, that's not a town board. It's a town board, Nantucket yeah. yep. um, Walkabout.
1: Uh, it was a business I started in uh, 2015, um, an outgrowth of my um, writing for the Nantucket Beacon and the Nantucket Independent and Nantucket Magazine um, you know, as an environmental reporter and also writing the books, uh walking the Antarctic Walker's Guide in Antarctica on foot and Antarctica Natural History. Um I was doing the um uh, Antarctic Historical Association's Food for Thought talk mm-hmm. that they have at the museum in the off season and that was October of <clears throat> I don't know, two thousand twelve I was Stumping for my natural history book, and um, 82 people. It was a lot of people. And at the end, I was selling books and signing them in uh, their gift shop. And a woman came up to me and said, You know, I'm only here every couple of years, but maybe when I come back, you'll be taking people on walks and yeah. telling them about natural history. And then the Independent had shut down, you know, two years prior, and I was coming to the end of being able to collect unemployment and I was doing a million little jobs to try and stay under the amount that they let you make. And so I wasn't doing so well, and I thought, wow, nah, that sounds cool. you know. So it took me a couple of years to get it off the ground, but you know, this will be my eighth season guiding people.
0: Do you do it at all in the wintertime?
1: I have- If,
0: if there's demand?
1: I have, I say that I'm open year-round, I am. I have hikes on my hike calendar um, that you can go and book, but you know, it's usually not until um, March when I get them, and then all the way until, you know, middle of December, maybe.
0: I also have in my notes, adjunct professor at UMass, tell us about that.
1: <laughs> um, that would have been 2014 and 2015, and the UMass Boston, uh, University of Massachusetts at Boston campus, uh, which is the owner of the UMass field station, um, uh, out at uh, 100, 180 uh, Pulpus Road. Uh, that field station sits on 110 acres of Nantucket Conservation Foundation land. And they used to have, I think they still have it, they just haven't got anybody to sign up for it lately, what's known as the Nantucket Semester, where you would come mm-hmm. down here as a student um, in the School for the Environment at UMass Boston and live at the field station at their dorms. and. Uh, you would have a Nantucket-centric curriculum and take four courses, um, one at a time. So three and a half weeks is one course. A semester's worth of work on one course, and in, an intensive. And uh, and all the while, over over that spring semester, you would be working on a some sort of research project, a study in the biological world on Nantucket, and. Uh, um, so that wasn't me. I, was, I would teach a class called Nantucket Natural History based on my book. So much fun.
0: You've done a lot of things. And the, the, the light motif, if you will, is uh, Nantucket as a place of, well, natural history, your book, natural beauty, et cetera, et cetera, ecology. I've, so that's, that's the through line for all the things you've just mentioned.
1: I've reinvented myself so many different times. Um, I've been a doorman at various places around the island. I worked for Cape Cod Express, delivering packages for three and a half years. I did taxes for h and r block. I um, landscaped and gardened and you know the 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 very undercurrent is that I love living here and I mm-hmm. don't want to go. I now own a house here. I got very lucky and got a housing covenant house uh, so It's more of, for me, it's quality of life and this really strong community of my friends that are here that, you know, you do what you got to do to stay here. I had this conversation with a friend of mine over and over in the summertime. I volunteer at the farmer's market downtown for the last Mm -hmm. 15 years. And and I always tell her, you know, there's tons of people here that that are wealthy by money, but I think that everybody that lives here is wealthy just by virtue of the fact that you get to live here.
0: We are all lucky to live here. Sometimes, maybe in August, it doesn't feel that way, but we are lucky to live here, no question.
1: And now it's January, and it's going to be February in a little bit, and it's one of my favorite months of the year. It's, one mm-hmm. of, it's the quietest, I think, and yeah. I, I look forward to it. I do, too. I do,
0: too. Peter Brace, thank you for joining me today and telling us about beekeeping, which is something I, I dare say most people watching this show will know nothing about, but they know a lot about it now. So thanks for coming into the studio.
1: It was great. My pleasure, Charlie.
0: For Nantucket Community Television, Channel 18, this is Charlie Walters on Profiles. Thanks for tuning in. Please tune in again.